I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the suitcase and the stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of The Suitcase and the Scribe. Mike McKenna in your well-lit closet in St. Louis. How are you doing, my friend? It's been a tumultuous week again. Yeah, it has been. You know, it's kind of been a heavy week, really, with... I, I know hockey is always what we're focused on, but it's tough to see the world struggling and turmoil, war. I mean, war. Like, we're talking war here, Scott. I know. I, I know we're trying to stay distracted and think about hockey, but it's not fun, man, to, to look at that, you know, and I'm glad that we have hockey. I'm glad there's stuff going on. Um, but I think it's just kind of a heavy time. You know, I think, I, especially for me, like I think of a lot of friends that are playing in, in Russia or have been yeah. playing in Russia or friends that have been in Europe that, man, they don't know whether to stay, go, come yeah. home. There's kind of a lot of, unknowns out there so um from that perspective it's been a really kind of shitty week but from the hockey perspective in the nhl at least we've seen some pretty interesting things take place here scott so (laughs) and that's always the case but yeah just before we we move on to that i I am i am curious to see what you thought of um you know the double ihf uh, had a special council meeting on monday and and uh, basically have um said to to russian teams and and belarusian teams belarusian teams i think is how you say it um you know, won't be able to participate internationally through the summer and the potential, you know, the world junior in 2023 uh, won't be held in Russia. Um, still waiting to hear on the men's worlds for 2023. It's supposed to be held in St. Petersburg. I, I assume at some point they will strip Russia of that tournament. Mm-hmm. And then the NHL, you know, sort of, I don't say piggybacking on it, but it's, you know, right after the double IHF announcement uh, announced that they were uh, pausing their business relationships in Russia and they have, they are significant, right? The NHL has a whole infrastructure, you know, in carrying the NHL game across the world. And there are, they have Russian business partners and television deals, and those are all off the table now. And um, certainly the the NHL won't be planning any kind of events in Russia moving forward. Were you satisfied with the response from those two important hockey bodies? Did you think it should have gone further? What did you think? I think the double IHF was, I mean, what they eventually came to as a conclusion was the right thing to do. But was it not the most laughable statement ever to see that the IIHF was monitoring the situation in Ukraine? That was their first statement. We are monitoring the situation. It's like, dude, you just had a you just had a country invade a sovereign nation. Like, what what more do you need to monitor there? And and I get it. Like when you're a sanctioning body that's worldwide, you don't want to jump to conclusions on anything. But I don't know what more conclusion you need than seeing a tank rolling down a road. Like yeah. that's pretty simple. The hard part is that, you know, it's ultimately the people that get hurt in this, the players that get hurt in this. And, you know, I have friends that play at a Russian that that are from Russia. They play for Russia na- internationally. And, you know, they, they don't really have much choice here at all, Scott. And they're going to get hurt by this, by not being able to play in these tournaments. Yeah. And that's the byproduct of living in a country that does whatever it wants in Russia, essentially. And that's a author- you know, totalitarian rule, authoritarian rule, oligarch rule, whatever you want to call it. That's yeah. what happens. And it's, it's a no-win situation because those players – 
can't do anything. They can't change it. They can't defect and go somewhere else and suddenly become American. And then you can play wherever, like you don't have that time frame as a player, you're stuck in it. And it's sad to me because Russia's just isolated themselves on the political scale. Now on the, on the sporting scale, that's what's happening here. So um, I, I thought the double IHF is in line. That's what they needed to do. You have to take action here across the board. Sports matter. I mean, sports matter in Russia a ton. They wouldn't have been doping up their athletes for the last 40 years if it didn't matter so much. Yeah. And it's real talk. Um, and on top of that, the NHL, I mean, really, I think their hands are kind of tied here. I mean, you, you can cut off funding. You can no longer do things in Russian. Um, ultimately, I think it comes down to government bodies more than anything in terms of player visas and things. That's the big concern for me is like going forward. Are these Russian players going to even be allowed to play in North yeah. America next year? I I'm, have real concerns about that gaining work visas. So I thought the I thought their responses were fine. I thought they were just a little bit delayed on the double IHF part. Um, yeah. But Scott, I don't know. I mean, you've you've seen international conflict play into sports before. I mean, is this unprecedented to see sanctioning bodies start to act against countries in this way? Um, no, and like I think you go back to like, and I didn't know the I was. Uh, in university at the time, but um, you know, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan and countries not going to Olympics. And um, you know, I had a friend at university who was a Canadian Olympic fencer and had worked and worked and then you couldn't compete internationally. And that was, you know, again, that was the, that was the direction that um, the international um, sport federations went in that way. And, and I think it's a, I think it is a powerful thing and it is a meaningful thing. And I can see why people were asking, you know, why, why are we in China? Right. Why are we, mm -hmm. even though the NHL didn't go obviously, but why are we sending athletes to China with their deplorable human rights record? So it's a fair question. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I am curious to see how it plays out. Like, I, you know, at some point, you know, we, you know, I've talked about it the, and the NHL and the NHLPA are, are, they are having regular meetings now about a 2024 world cup of hockey. Um, what is going to happen between now and when they start announcing what that tournament is going to look like that would allow Russia to compete? I, I see, you know, to me, I, because I, you need Russia in that tournament if you're doing it. Do you do it's you really well, best on best? Yeah. I, well, I, 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 I took that to me is the great dilemma, you know, for the NHL and the NHLPA and the NHL mentioned in their release. And I think this is really important because I don't think people understand, you know, when you have all the, these Russian players who are playing in the NHL, many, many of them have made their homes here, but many, many of them still have strong, strong ties to Russia. Family is still there. We know what happened with Artemi Panarin when he spoke out against Vladimir Putin long before this invasion and instantly was attacked. There was reports about his behavior. This is what happens, and this is a kind of reach. And, and so this, I'm leading up to the Alex Ovechkin thing, which is to me the trickiest of them all because listen, I, it, it's, a, it's fair to ask these players and what what does it mean to them? Where do they what? Are, how do they view it? It's you know, your home country has done this. Uh, you know, many will have friends and former teammates from Ukraine, all those kinds of things. But Ovechkin's special because he's a special player and his longstanding relationship with Putin is is obvious and it's still out there pictures of the two of them. And I see, you know, people are clamoring. I see some of his sponsors have are putting a hold on commercials and things like that. And I see people clamoring for some sort of, you know, to, to punish Alex Ovechkin, which, uh, which uh, I, I understand that part, but I don't know with his family still in Russia, whatever he does can be construed differently in Russia. And so what is it, what is at risk for Alex Ovechkin? If he takes down pictures, if he denounces Putin specifically, you know, for him to come out and say no war is, is not nothing. It may not be what we would all love him to say, but maybe he's in a position that he cannot say what he truly wants to. And I, maybe he does, maybe he wouldn't say that. I don't know, but I think it's, I think it is, you have to be very cautious about criticizing how people respond to this because we have no idea what it's like in Russia and what kind of ramifications there are for speaking out. And in speaking out may be something mild to us, 
But in Russia, it may cause it, we don't know what it might lead to in Russia. And I think that's, I guess, I'm not trying to let Alex Ovechkin off the hook. I just don't know that we're in a position to say, well, you're not a good person because you didn't say this. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I mean, everybody expects, and not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but the social justice warriors of the world are expecting Alex Ovechkin to come out and say, this is wrong. Putin is bad. We should never do this. Let's stop. Like, come on, get real here. Like there's two lines of thinking with this. Either Alex Ovechkin completely agrees with what Russia's doing because him and Putin are buddies and he's, Hey, he's Russian. We, this is what we do. Or the other line of thinking is, Oh man, I cannot speak out against this or all or else my family might disappear or might be poisoned like the journalists that have been by Russia. Okay. Like Scott, it makes me almost nervous saying this on this podcast because these things happen in real life to people. And I, I think that we have to draw that distinction that no matter what Ovechkin actually thinks, He's not coming out to denounce this. Okay. Him saying no more war. Okay. Whatever. All he's saying is essentially, I hope Russia wins this quick and we're done is what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. You know, I have no idea if that's the case, but what an unenviable spot to be in. Like you could see the look on his face. You couldn't be any more uncomfortable. And you have to answer those questions because he has very publicly been pro Putin, very pro Putin. Yeah. I just don't know if that's on his own free will. If you're the country's biggest star and everything comes to you via government, via the highest level, how do you go against that? I mean, that's Artemi Panarin. Holy cow. Like what guts it took to do what he did. But I tell you what, Scott, I don't want to live in the United States of America if Ovechkin can't have his own opinions and speak them. And that bothers me that people think that you have to have an opinion or you're wrong. Even if you have the most morally wrong opinion in the world, that's still protected in our country. Yeah. And I don't want to see that go away. So it, it bothered me to see people come after him. It bothered me to see Dominic Hasek go off the rails like that. Like, I don't think he was off base in terms of like denouncing what's happening. No. But dude, like, I mean, you had, you had it in your, uh, in your piece recently on daily face off of, in your in your <laughs> Burnside Burns that you were a little critical of of Dominic Hasek there as well. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> to call on the NHL to you know negate all Russian contracts. Yeah, come on, come like, on, man. Like what? I mean, and listen, people. He's call, you know he calls Alex Ovechkin names. Listen, I, I'm. I'm not in a position to judge Alex Ovechkin yeah. in this moment. I don't know enough about that world in Russia yeah, now yeah. for me to say you are this and this and this. So, and for Dominic Hasek, you're like, I, and I listen, I get the history. I There's understand. There's a ton there with, with the former with Czechoslovakia, Jack the invasion and, of Russia. Oh, there's a totally. lot there. Yeah. I get it. But, but come on. Yeah. Like that's just overboard. You're not going to do that. And and again, there's no, that's not, you know, like we're having a dialogue, we're having a discussion about that's not like, that's just, that's, that's, that's late at night bar talk there. That's, yeah. Okay. Hockey. 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 You know, what's been nice. Yes. The Blackhawks finally have a GM. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm really enthused. I'm enthused by this. Uh, like what? So t- tell me your Kyle Davidson, uh, internal candidate, uh, Blackhawks cast a wide net, uh, you know, people again, shockingly, not everyone happy with this, uh, with this decision, but we're a, were you surprised? And what do you make of, of what lies ahead now for Kyle Davidson? Well, the, Search to find the new general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks sure felt like a dog and pony show <laughs> at this yeah. point because they ended up settling on more or less the incumbent. Yeah. But when you look big picture, which we try to do, there were a lot of different voices that were allowed to give their vision of what the Chicago Blackhawks should be or should become and yeah. where it is as a franchise. And that's valuable. No, I, I never thought that somebody from baseball was going to take this job. That yeah. was way too far outside the box with no experience in the game. I just didn't see that happening. Um, I think Matthew Darsh would have been a great candidate. He was mentioned as being one of the finalists. And I, and I still think that he's got trajectory here to get one of those jobs. Yeah. 
But, you know, when I speak to people that know Davidson well, they say he's really intelligent. He has risen through the ranks of an organization quickly for a reason, because his opinion is valued. He's hungry. He's passionate about it. Um, And people more or less believe in him. And that's the reason why he had been groomed up into the assistant general manager role. And I also think that with him, you know, you've got somebody that not just knows the players, but also now has really been in touch with a lot of people to understand what this is going to take to get the team back on track. And this needed to happen now. It needed to happen three weeks ago, Scott, the trade deadline's three weeks away here, like less than that. Like yep. this, honestly, the Blackhawks were way too late to come to this conclusion. If you ask me, cause I don't think I, it should have happened before all-star when things really start moving, but that's water on the bridge at this point. So I, I think it's an interesting hire from that aspect that they just stayed in house. But the key element to me is that, they had Marion Hosa, Eddie Olchick, Patrick Sharp on an advisory committee, and they must have all signed off on this, on the hiring of Kyle Davidson. That's important to me because you've got a swath of former players from very recently retired to Eddie, who's been out of the game for a little while, but still very much entrenched in it. True. I think that matters the most, more so than the conclusion that the words family came to in, in hiring Davidson. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to see young blood come into the game and a fresh look, honestly, Scott. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, this notion that somehow, and again, you know, listen, social media, hey, I always, you know, it's, it's part of the hazard of the job. Social media is not a real place, but, it, but, it, you know, <laughs> we, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, on it. I mean, that's how, that's how we share, you know, information, all those kinds of things. But, you know, this notion that somehow, that by hiring from within the organization, that it somehow, you know, continues this closed circle. And listen, I, I don't know Kyle Davidson. I met him in Raleigh recently. He was there with Brian Campbell um, when I was there and we had a nice chat. Um, and I'm with you, uh, people that I've spoken to who, who know him, forward thinking, bright, young. I mean, isn't that what we want or we sometimes clamor for when we talk about how do we change hockey? Um, and, and listen, this job now is different than any other job in hockey. And it's one, it's a different than a, most pro sports job because you're not just talking about rebuilding the Chicago Blackhawks and, and Kyle Davidson talked about the rebuild, right? The very frank about where this team you know, what the path ahead, but th- this is about, this is a, an entire rebuild, right? It's about trying to rebuild, a, um, a, you know, the, the identity and the personality and the reputation of, of an original six franchise that did despicable things. And the more we see of Kyle Davidson, the less of Rocky works, frankly, I think is better for the Blackhawks and better for the game. So I say, you know, let's see what happens. I'm curious to see whether, you know, at some point does he bring in, you know, is there like in Vancouver, we saw with Jim Rutherford taking over the top of hockey ops and then filtering it down or Jeff Gordon in Montreal and then hiring Kent Hughes. I know Kyle Davidson's the GM, but is, does he, what does his team look like moving forward and how does he cast that net as we saw in Vancouver and then in Montreal to do things a little bit differently. How does, how does Chicago do that? And, and so I'm quite, I'm curious when he says rebuild, you know, to me, I think of Mark Andre Fleury, whose contract is coming up. We talk about almost every week because he's, mm-hmm. you know, is he going somewhere or not? And there are teams that need goaltending. And then for the uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, both of whom have one year left. I'm checking to make sure that's correct. Actually one yeah, year left is. before, Unrestricted free agency, Patrick Kane's ta- cap it at 10.5 million, as is Jonathan Tays. Like what when you hear rebuild and you think of the Blackhawks, what comes what comes to mind for you? What what does that mean? Uh, it means to me that there's a lot of players that are probably nervous because I'm yeah. not sure who's really safe in Chicago. And honestly, do you want to be safe right now at this stage of the game? Do you want to be there? If you're Patrick Kane, do you believe, do you think that this team's going to contend in the next, I mean, three, four years? How much more window does he have of his career? You'd like to think it's forever, but you don't know. And there would be teams line up to take Patrick Kane. I don't know if there'd be teams that would line up to take Jonathan Taves at his salary. I would be very surprised by that. But you talk about Kane, you can get a ransom for him. Even to Brinkett, who's got one more year left at 6'4". I mean, he might pot 40 goals this year. You know, like this is, 
big time talent that could potentially be on the market. Kubalik scored previously. You got the Han on the fence. Like I think Seth Jones is about the only guy that's locked up there that you're looking at and thinking he's not going anywhere. Yeah. So I think maximization of, of assets is really important. And in that culture, man, who's going to define your team, who is going to, to lead this club. And there's a lot there, but they have pieces to do it. Um, yeah. And they're not that like, it's not a, and it's, I'm, I'm curious to see, like you said, I'm curious to see how Davidson builds out his front office. Who is going to be his helpers? Like now, Brian Campbell appears to be in line to whatever they title him will be involved. Yes. But man, you need, you need voices in the room there. You need support structure. And I think big picture down the road, hiring the next coach, you know, it, it, unless they stay with, with King, which who knows, Yeah, it's going to be important because you're going to have probably another two, three years here easily of growing pains, I think. Yeah. And you need a coach who can handle that. So that's going to be an important hire. Man, it, I, it's, it is fascinating because we are really, you know, and I thought Kyle Davidson was, was excellent because what he talked about is just as, as you alluded to it, Listen, he's Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane aren't going to be forced anywhere. They're going to be in the loop, but you know, the reality is what does uh, Patrick Kane's 33 years old and you're right. right. At, you know, he's still an elite player, still a plus a point of game guy and on a, you know, on a, a, you know, any kind of contending team, a playoff team, he's, he's a critical piece. So, you know, with one year left on his deal, both in Jonathan Tate's a full no moves clause. So they're not going anywhere. Um, but it really is. If you're Patrick Kane, what, what do you want the final years of your career to look like? And if he's, if he says, I'm, I'm all on board, I want to be here for the total rebuild, you know, sign me up. I'll, you know, I'll sign an extension, you know, three times six or whatever the number is going to be moving yeah. forward. Okay. Then, and then the Blackhawks have to decide, well, does that work for them or not? But I like that he's, you know, the door is going to be open to both those guys because they deserve it. Um, and I think the quite, you know, I mean, okay, what happens then? Because we've seen, you know, it never worked out for Henrik Lundqvist, but Zdeno Chara and Lundqvist and think about the iconic players who have, you know, who have moved on. Claude Giroux may be on its way to a new team in the next less than three weeks now. It, it happens. It's an emotional thing. I'm curious to see how it plays out for the Blackhawks. And, and you know, again, because Patrick Kane is, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player. He, both no those questions. guys are. So, uh, so uh, before we move on from the Blackhawks, what, you know, the whole, you know, the Mark Andre Fleury, does he, is, you know, what, what's your gut tell you? Because three weeks from to now, from to now, to de- that's not a word, by the way, <laughs> three now. weeks from today, we will be on the other side of trade deadline. Three weeks from now, when you and I are taping this, is Mark Andre Fleury in a Blackhawk jersey or is he in some other kind of jersey? What's your gut tell you? I have held true to this. I've stuck to this answer. I, I don't think he's moving. I've in my heart of hearts felt that the whole time that I don't see a situation arising that looks tempting enough for him to go. And I could be completely off base with this. I could be reading the tea leaves completely wrong, but there's always talk of teams trying to get that big number one goaltender. Who's going to win you the Stanley cup. And it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And the price you have to pay for it for a pending UFA, I don't see it. Like maybe a sign and tr- maybe a trade and sign. <laughs> maybe that would entice Mark Andre Fleury to, to move somewhere if you had some certainty of, hey, you know, yeah. whatever the case is, we're going to trade you to the Minnesota Wild and they're going to sign you to a two-year deal at five per or whatever it may be, you know, like yeah. maybe that entices him. Right. I don't know what that would take, but I just, I don't see a situation opening up unless there's a major injury in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. If Tristan Jari goes down, if Darcy Kemper goes down, Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be a plane to those cities immediately. I feel that. Sure. But he's not going to go somewhere to potentially be a tandem or a backup or an insurance policy when he could just have fun, finish the year with Chicago, play with, you know, have his kids along with him. Like that matters to him. He was miserable in the bubble. Like just about everybody was. And especially yeah. for him being away from his family, that's such a big deal. 
he, no, he doesn't owe the game anything. He doesn't owe teams anything. No. And the Hawks know that they can't just trade him on a whim, even though he's got trade protection, I think, of 10 teams. Yeah, I think. He's actually got 31 team trade protection here <laughs> after what he went through with Vegas last year. So it's in his court. And Scott, I, barring a major injury, I don't see it unless, I mean, Minnesota is about the only team I look at that I think it could happen because that's a quick enough flight from Chicago that maybe he looks at that objectively and he thinks, okay, I can get my family in every weekend. No problem here. We'll do it. But I, I don't know, man. What do you, what's your take on it? Do you think he's going to go? There's I teams that know. could use them for sure. They're really, I mean, Edmonton, yeah. Washington, those teams need goalies. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't. It is a ten, according to Cap Friendly, our great resource. Uh, ten team, no trade. Boy, I should look at that again. Let's just make sure we get it right here. Ten, no trade list. Um, and and listen, I my sense, and I'm sure you have the same sense, is the Blackhawks. They're not forcing Mark Andre Fleury anyway. You're right. It's a 31 team, no trade list. It has to work for the player and his family. It has to work for the Blackhawks. And, and then it has to work for the team. And, and it's such a great segue because, like, I look, look at now, I know Vegas is coming off a win last night over San Jose. But I look at the standings, and especially in the West, although that East, man, we, I wrote about it, and we talked about it. I talked about it with Frank on the show on Friday. Did we call the East too soon? Because you mentioned Washington. They, they can't win. Columbus wins again last night, eight points back with a game in hand. There are teams that are adrift right now. And to me, our job is, do you really suck? Or is this just part, is this just life in 82 games? And there are a bunch of teams, Vegas. Now, again, they get the win last night. So they're, you know, Vegas, Minnesota, man, they are just, they don't, it's not that the wild suddenly started to lose games. They're getting crushed every night. Got crushed last night by Calgary. They're getting crushed. Washington cannot win, cannot win. Um, you know, like they just, they are completely sideways. Uh, and it's, yes, goaltending is an issue, but it's the whole, man, they're just, they just are sideways. Uh, what else, who else is on my list? Vegas, Washington, mini Nashville, Anaheim, Anaheim, mm -hmm. huge win last night, scored late against Boston to, to get a really important win for them to keep them again, sort of in that hunt and Nashville, I love that. I want, I want to ask you later, but uh, you know, losing in the uh, stadium series game uh, in Nashville on the weekend. Oh my God, it was so great to watch. And what I thought it was a great game, but you know, Nashville now a little bit more, more vulnerable with Dallas jumping up, you know, Winnipeg trying to stay in the hunt. So when you think of these teams, is there one, like what, what where do you divide the line between you are in real trouble or, Let's not let's not push the panic button because it's 82 games and all teams suck for a period of time during an 82 game schedule. Yeah, I think the East is still set. I mean, I know it's sexy that Columbus has done such a good job lately. And um, man, I, that team's got some jam and Patrick Line has been unbelievable lately. And it's not just him like Bjorkstrand, I think, has been somebody who's been underrated for quite some time. Yep. That guy can shoot the puck like you put it. You, Give him the puck and put your hands in the air, man. He'll one-time that baby home like Stamkos. But I, I love how plucky that team is. Yes. Um, and, and I'm happy for Brad Larson. I, he was my head coach with the Springfield Falcons years ago in Columbus's organization. He's kind of been a lifer there. Yeah. And I'm happy for him. I, I don't think he's very good at challenging goalie interference. He's blown it twice on those this year on really <laughs> – I don't know how he thought it was um, – but you know what? Like even the Jake Voracek trade looks good for that Gosh, for them. Yes. Like Columbus is better in Philly by a long shot. Who wins that trade? Cam Atkinson's played well for Philly, but I mean, Voracek. Jake's not shooting the puck, but man, he's sure assistant. You know, so, <laughs> and, and and man, Merzlikens is good. And what I like about Merzlikens, and I know I'm focusing on Columbus, and I still don't think they're going to make it. But what I like about Merzlikens is that. He's gotten, he and Columbus have gotten their ass kicked hard a few times this year, yeah. like six, seven goals yeah. again, strung out. And that dude just keeps grinding. Yep. Like he, he has not let it face him, phase him. 
I think that's really impressive. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's cool. Uh, I'm happy that that team's there. I, the East is still one for me. I Washington, okay. you know, Vanacek's come is back now, and that's a boost for them. Samsonov just couldn't get it done for them in that. And that matters because that's a team that can play heavy. I was surprised that they lost to even to Toronto the other night. I thought that they would beat Toronto uh, and Toronto was able to come back, play pretty strong in that game. Uh, but the West is such a quagmire, man. Like I, I Anaheim, no, uh, yeah. Winnipeg, no, but take your pick out of this group, Scott, that Edmonton, Dallas, I mean, <sighs> Who's going to not make it from that group? Like Minnesota's going to be there at the end. I have no doubt in my mind they'll be. So you're not. I'm just. You're not worried about. You're not worried about this. It was. I read my old pal Mike Russo, and now he uh-huh. he talked to Billy Garrett, and you know Bill's like, yeah, no, I like my team. You know, we're and now now ever since he said that, they cannot win. And you yeah. know, Cam Talbot's been a bit sideways, but so you you like what you see there. You like Dean Evison to turn things around. Like it's. Yes. They're still the, it's not like they're falling out of the bubble. Like they're still, no, they're not. They're but I tell you what, I, I, I've had a, a sneaking suspicion that Minnesota hasn't been happy with, I shouldn't say hasn't been happy. They have questioned their ability to win a Stanley cup with the goaltending duo. They have, I have mm. a sneaking suspicion of that. And that's where, like I said before, if, the, the flurry effect guarantee Billy guarantee. Like I, I, I wonder I do, uh, but it's not on goaltending with Minnesota's e- either. They've just, they haven't been the same Nashville, I think should be okay. Even though we've seen cracks in, in their game, but man, how entertaining was that outdoor game? Like so good. Like I, and there were hits, there were fights. It was engaging. Yeah. Like it was in a, massive football stadium in Tennessee and people were going crazy for hockey because Nashville is a hockey city now. Yeah, it is. Whether people up in Flin Flon want to believe that or not, Nashville is very <laughs> much a hockey town. Um, I was happy to see that. So yes. I think, the, yeah, I, I know I'm going all over the place here. Um, Vegas will be okay, but gosh, they're so deep into the injuries right now, man. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I actually worry about Vegas that if it doesn't happen this year, I, I could see them going down in a ball of flames in the first round with their injury trouble. Yeah. Well, it's listen, I, but it was weird to look because I think at one point, had they not fallen into the wild card mix uh, earlier this week? And again, let's just have a little look here. Let's not guess. That's what I keep saying here at home. Let's not guess. They're in third place in the Pacific. You know, they've got 64 points. Nashville's in the first wild card at 64. Edmonton in the second wild card at 63. Um, so, yeah. And then there all those teams nipping at the, you know, at the playoff wild card line, the Mendoza yeah, we line. We can't count out Dallas. You can't count them no. out. No. And that's, to me, that's a great thing. And you have to, this will be the, you know, Pete DeBoer got his 500th win good for him taking him a while and it, it, I, you know, it's hard to it can't, it's hard to get your head around this notion that somehow could Vegas actually miss the playoffs no I don't think it's going to happen that way um, but it still must be a sobering it must be sobering for Bill Foley the owner all the way through that organization to be looking three weeks from the trade deadline when you imagined that you were going to be you know contesting top spot in the Pacific and probably the top seed in the West to find yourself in with the rabble and that's, Mm. that must be uncomfortable. Well, and that's the way you run that risk when you construct your roster like that, when you have so many high ticket players, high cap hit players that when you lose one or two of them, it is a huge hit to your team. Yeah. You know, there's not as many middle-class citizens on the Vegas golden Knights. You look at that roster and you basically have five million up and a million under. You know, there's not a lot of meat in the sandwich here, folks. And that's, boy, if you're running full tilt, all cylinders, you got all those horses, Pacioretty's not hurt, Stone's not hurt, Martinez isn't hurt, blah, 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 blah. Yep. You're golden. Yep. Oh, God. Look at that. To to coin a phrase, right? (laughs) I didn't even mean to do that. You can't can't take the boy out of Vegas. That's all I guess. (laughs) But that top line last night, they had the Donoff playing with Eichel and Stevenson and you do Eichel's Eichel man is as good as they get, but 
except for rush chances, he was a perimeter player last night. He didn't have anybody to give it to. Yeah. And their power play, I'm looking at it, and they've got Keegan Kolasar with Evgeny Dodonov and Jack Eichel as the three forwards. And I'm just like, this is not going to work. Like, you need to yeah. put your five best players on the ice. Like, put Eichel out there with some players who can get the puck and put it in the net. But yeah. I don't know that that exists. Like, without having Stone and Pacioretty, like, your triggers. Yeah. And it's, man... That team, listen, San Jose is not any good. They were terrible last night. I don't have any nice way to say it. They were terrible. Because yeah. Vegas wasn't even that dominating to them with half a lineup. And San Jose couldn't do anything other than clog the middle. And, you know, Vegas beats them handily. But Vegas has struggled against the better teams. The Carolinas yeah. of the world, they've struggled against Calgary. They've gotten waxed by them a couple times. Um, so I have real concerns. Vegas will make playoffs. I don't know. They make it out of the first round unless everybody's healthy two weeks in front of playoffs. We're not talking about when playoffs start. And I don't know how you manage that with the salary cap because stone stashed on LTIR right now. If he's back before, I mean, there's a lot going on there, Scott, and I don't know how it gets fixed right now. Right now would be uh, LA Vegas in the first round. And listen, way too early to be talking matchups, especially in the West, but what a great job that uh, Todd McClellan has done with that Kings team. It'd be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, for Rob Blake, who's, mm-hmm. you know, coming, coming up to a trade deadline. Where Keep he's an eye on them. Hmm? They could make moves. Keep an eye on LA. Yes. And, you know, a little bit of, you know, I go back to the very first Vegas playoff series, which, Memory serves was against the Kings. Mark Andre Fleury was magical. That was a great series. That was a great goaltending series. Jonathan Quick and Mark Andre Fleury. I think there were like eight goals scored in the entire series. Like it was, it was yeah. shut down. And uh, I don't know. Maybe Kings get a little. Uh, it's time for a little payback for the Kings. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Well, and I like that team. Like, and they've got a really deep uh, prospect pool. Yeah, and that's where number one they can make moves with it if they need to. But I suspect they're going to hang on to a lot of that. And you're still a year or two from really seeing the best version of that team. Yes. Um, the Arvid tr- Arvidsson trade looks pretty good. He's played really well for nice. that club. Kopitar keeps doing his thing. Dowdy. Um, but, you know, like I've, they've had pieces in the depth that I've liked. I, I really like Ix, Alex Iafalo. I have for a couple yeah. of years. You know that. Um, and I think that players like him kind of set the tone for that club. But they've, they're good. I, I do I do question their goaltending though. Quick Quick's fallen off a bit this year in terms of where he started. Peterson's been okay, um, but I like LA. So the West has yet to be won, my friend. <laughs> uh, all right, well let's get to um, our time of the podcast every week. We're gonna when we're gonna we're, we're gonna do a little extrapolation. As you know, DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts restaurants and more delivered right to your door. And now, and for the first time we're going to do a, a mailbag. So we could call it the DoorDash mailbag till someone comes along and wants to sponsor the mailbag specifically. So <laughs> just throwing that out there, I'd like to wave the flag. Um, but we think it, we got some really good questions. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you want me to start? Oh, you know, go right ahead because I think it's appropriate here. I, I tell you, actually, let me pose this question to you, Scott, because you do cover the Carolina Hurricanes. I do. I do provide content. You do. And, you know, they're called a small market team, but the Green Bay Packers play in an even smaller city, yet have a huge nationwide following. Are the NHL and its media partners underestimating the Canes' ability to grow a fan base outside of North Carolina if promoted properly on national television? What an opening salvo. What a question. Yeah, no, I think it's a really valid question. And I think we've seen, I think, um, you know, Carolina is now on the cusp and it's a legitimate question to ask because they're, they're a legitimate Stanley cup contender, went to a conference final in 19, been to the playoffs, 2021. Um, And I, I think I, you know, I go back to when Tampa was, um, you know, sort of on their rise before winning back to back. I think there was still that, you know, there was, there were questions asked from that fan base as well. Hey, what about us? We have the best team in the NHL. Does anyone care or, you know, and, you know, part of it is, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to dump on NBC sports or NBC who was their broadcast partner the in the States for 
whatever it was, a decade or whatever, 12, whatever the number of years was. Mm-hmm. But I do think there became, there was a complete staleness because, because, you know, every week there'd be Rangers, Chicago, you know, Washington, Pittsburgh, and it didn't matter that the Rangers suspects. sucked and Detroit sucked and Chicago sucked. It did not matter. They still trotted those teams out on their national broadcast because that's what the numbers tell them. So I do think that with ESPN and, and uh, Turner, I think there, ha- I think there has to be a recognition that, that the marketplace is different, right? Like you have to recognize mm-hmm. where the the buzz is. And, and I, and again, I provide content to the Canes, but and having spent time there, that fan base is really quite incredible. And they're very sophisticated in the marketing um, group with the Carolina hurricanes is so in tune, right? They have a sense of humor. They can fun. poke fun at themselves. There is that fan base is completely galvanized. And, and I think there's a similar kind of dynamic in Nashville. You talk about that outdoor game. And you always wonder, geez, that's a, whatever the 62,000 revenue, that's a lot of tickets to sell Tampa, Nashville, Nashville's a great hockey town and it, it's a great hockey town because the, the organization has made it. So they've committed money to building rinks and they support high school hockey and diversity, all those things. And the Canes are very much like that. So I, I do think there, I think the profile of the Carolina hurricanes is at a point now that maybe it's never been at. And that includes, you know, winning a cup in 06. I think it may be different in Carolina than it's ever been. And I think there are a whole bunch of factors in that, but do you believe that? Like you, you, you're, you are multimedia. You, you talk about hockey on multiple platforms every day. Do you think the Canes are where they should be in terms of buzz in terms of league wide recognition? You know, I think the Canes are just really well-liked across the league, oddly enough, for a team that's just been a bunch of jerks and needled everybody. I think people love it. And it shows to me how wearing the black hat and being the villain and being the heel can be so attractive because, like, for every every person out there that can't stand Brad Marchand, there's three that love him. Yeah. And, and it's intense on both sides. And that's great. There's nothing worse than being... Blah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, and I'm sorry, man. Some teams just don't have an identity. They don't have an edge. Like you have to have that in today's world and you have to present it on social, on your broadcast. I mean, you watch the broadcast for Carolina, man. Tr- Tracy's so fun. Like yeah. he's, he's excellent. And that matters. Your broadcast team matters. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that Carolina to me is, I don't think they can turn into green Bay Packers. I do think they're a team, though, that has probably been undervalued for a long time. Yeah. I don't think they're going to fill that building every single day. It just it just isn't really how it works until playoff time there. But if yeah. you ever go to a game and see the passion and the tailgating and everything, it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a hard market to sell it consistently at a sellout pace until you get to playoff time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think, it, yeah, they're not, it's, it, it is, it, they are a fascinating place. And it's interesting because they're one of those um, – they're one of those places that even though their arena is not downtown, um, it actually fits their, it fits the community because that community wants a big wide open space. They do tailgate like crazy. I, there, I, I did stories back during that 06 run and talked to people about the tailgating because it was a novelty really. And I was, you know, I was at the national post in, or wherever I was, or maybe it was ESPN by that point. Um, Cause it was still sort of a novelty. Same people tailgating in the exact same spots. You know, they've got married and had kids and their life has happened to them and they're still tailgating in the same spots and it fits that marketplace. And, and I think that's okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to their outdoor game next year, right across the parking lot at Carter Finley stadium. So that'll be kind of fun. And I expect yep. it'll be very much like what we saw in Nashville, right? I think it'll be a great party. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So my turn to ask you, part of the suitcase in the scribe mailbag, <clears throat> the Avalanche are a good team. Yes, they are. But after watching them a few times, seems like they could use some playoff veterans in the bottom six. 
What about in? Could you see a Cal Clutterbuck or a Zach Parise as a fit? What do you think? I think that's a great question. You know, given we were talking about the West being very fluid, but there's Colorado's going to run away with it. They're going to be the number one seed. But what do you, what do you like about them come playoff time, or do you have some concerns? Well, I think Brian G on Twitter has been reading my mind. Uh, <laughs> I think that if Carolina needs anything, it's not Claude Giroux. It's not a goaltender. I think they just need some grittiness and some depth, and they need to do it without giving up an Alex Newhook or yeah. young talent on that team. You have to keep him. And, you know, I, Darren Helms there, which is great. You talk about experience, somebody who plays and do anything you need for a club, but I think he needs some support there. Uh, Clutterbuck? Yeah, Parise. Uh, I mean, like, listen, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen out of Long Island. That's yeah. the hard part. You, you never know with, with Lou Lamarillo because he keeps everything so close to his vest. And um, yeah. does Zach Parise, <laughs> they're so close. Does he want to go anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I look at like, man, Brandon Hagel in Chicago. Boy, that'd be a good one yes. to get in there. But you'd have to give up a decent amount of picks to get him, I believe, because his contract is so good for the next couple of years. So that's the tough part because you're probably looking at a rental, I would imagine, for the avalanche in my eyes. Yeah. And um, I think Parisi or Clutterbuck might fit that bill. Clutterbuck, I would say more so than Parisi because they don't need the extra scoring. They could really use some grind and some bang and, and, and some grit there. So I like Clutterbuck. I think there's other players amongst the league that could fit that role. Um, but you're going to have to data mine them and figure out who's the proper fit. Because that, to me, that's the only thing missing for that team, just a little bit of grit um, and some control. <laughs> I'd like to see them be in control when things go sideways, which is never. So except for uh, last night, um, not great. So, I, so he, uh, here's the question is after Joe Sackick stole Devin Tays from the Islanders. Oh man. I don't know. Maybe lose a little bit gun shy about going back to that. I well. agree. That, yeah. Well, that was not a great be. deal for the Islanders. That's for sure. And I what, agree a great, with you. what a great deal for the abs. And, and yeah. I, I think that's, I think it's a fair, I think this is a great dilemma for Joe Sackick, right? Because, you know, they're soon going to be in a position like Tampa was back in 19, where they're going to, they are going to run away with the West. They're probably going to run away with the president's trophy. The internal urgency is going to be the issue for Jared Bednar there. And listen, we all know what happened with the bolts against Columbus after that record setting 62 win season. And John Cooper spoke about it very candidly after we, we did not, we couldn't get our foot back on the gas, right? They, yeah. They, it's like, it's a natural thing to no one's touching you. You're trying to manage, maybe you're managing minutes and you're doing things because there's no urgency to your game. And how do you recreate that? And I, you know, listen, I, that series against Vegas last year in the second round was fascinating because Vegas just like wore them down. The, the Avs had that series well, well in hand. Mm -hmm. couldn't close the deal. And maybe that's a lesson in itself. Maybe you learn from that and you don't need to do too much else. But I think the question is a great one because I think someone, look, I, I think Cal Clutterbuck, I, I saw our friend Larry Brooks in New York covers the Rangers, you know, talking about is Cal Clutterbuck the kind of guy that the Rangers could use because he is that kind of guy that can come in and just a little, you know, it's like he's Barkley Goodrow, but older and yeah. not as expensive, probably. So, yeah, I don't know. and that's where I think the one part of the question that I don't necessarily think is that important. Somebody who has playoff experience, you don't have to have that. You have to play the right way. It's got to be the right fit. That's a bonus if there already is playoff experience. Uh, we got another one in from a yep. great screen name. I will dance you. Okay, <laughs> This is uh, Mikey on Twitter. And he asked, what's one player that could be moved at the deadline that nobody's talking about? Do you have an inside track on somebody you think that could fit that bill, Scott? Hmm. I should have, I should have looked at these more closely before we started because uh, um, do you have one? Because I, I will think about it. Yeah, I, think I have one. Hmm? Do it, I have then, one. Yeah. Ryan Getzloff. I will come up with one. Ryan hmm? Getzloff. Oh, Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Not a big contract, proven winner, still got some legs in him. You could hide him on your fourth line, wheel him out for the power play. He's seen his buddy Corey Perry do it the last couple of years. Yes. Yeah. I know that I heard rumblings and even last year at the deadline, 
maybe even Vegas had gone after Getzloff and couldn't make it work. So I don't know. I I wonder about him. I, I don't think anybody's really making much much waves there. But if if Anaheim's not in a better position in a couple of weeks here, maybe they have that conversation. Yeah, you know what? The, here's the guy that I'm, uh, and I like I like that idea. I, I it was one of those conversations that came up last year because Getzlaff is such a good guy and his experience and all that kind of stuff. And I think he'd be a fit and, you know, he plays center. So, you know, he, he goes where you want him to go um, in your lineup. And I think that there are lots of teams that would love to have a little center depth. Um, here's the, you know what, here's the, I will throw this uh, name out there. Um, and I know uh, Frank Cervalli was, uh, had talked about the the New Jersey devils uh, earlier in the week on one of the other platforms here at daily Faceoff. But you know, the guy who's, he, no one talks about PK Subban anymore, unless they complain mm-hmm. that he's slew footing people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's at the end of his deal. He's, you know, like he, he's making $9 million. So that's, that's a lot, but devils retain salary. I don't think he has any trade protection. Let's just yeah. confirm that. No trade. Maybe, protection. A, maybe a third party broker comes in. Yeah. You know, you could make this work if you wanted to. See, here's the thing. Like he's, I know PK Subban's a polarizing guy in the NHL, and you know, would you, there, there's certain certain amount of not for me. Good hockey player, man. Well, and but maybe, I understand the impression. Yeah, yeah. Well, and no, either. I think there's anyway. I mean, the guy's won a Norris Trophy. He yeah. still can skate like the wind. If if you're a team that is looking for some help on the back end, you, you don't necessarily need a guy to play 25 minutes, and but maybe you just it's a complimentary piece on the back end. You're right. It's a, you know what what's the ask for PK Subban? Because I I can't imagine he's coming back to the Devils. So that's my guy. That's how I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to say PK Subban. I don't know where he would go. Where you know where is the fit there? Um, We're going to break case. it. He's going to the Leafs. He's going home. Oh my God! Wouldn't that be glorious? Huh? <laughs> oh man! Listen, Leafs need. I'm not sure they need PK Subban per se. I mean, with Jake Muzzin concussion issues, I think they're thinking more along, you know, the that more physical, yes, lower profile guy, you know, who can play in that four, five, six role. But is that not kind of what PK is now? I, yeah, I, I think he, I think <laughs> in a short period of time, PK Subban could be an absolutely fascinating trade deadline acquisition for a contending team. What about the Minnesota Wild? Listen, Minnie's Minna, got all kinds of cap room. Mm-hmm. They need to, you know, I think Bill Guerin's going to be aggressive, probably would prefer to add a top six forward, but. I don't know. Why not? Like, I don't know. Why not? Yeah. So there you go. Let, we'll, we'll go circle back and make a note. What about PK? We're All right. It. What, I got one for you here. This will pretty much close things out, which is, I've enjoyed this. It's very, mm-hmm. very, uh, very fun. Which teams do you see making the largest splash at the trade deadline. And, I, and so I, yeah, I think who are you looking forward to over the next three weeks to be the most active? Yeah. we got to look at this one two ways. Who's going to be most active and who's going to go get the big name player. Yes. Two things. It is possibly um, in terms of teams being active. I cannot see the New York Rangers standing pat. Correct. I can't. Um, Shishirkin has covered up the defensive deficiencies of that team more than anybody can realize, unless you watch Georgiev play, then you realize what that team really is. Uh, So I think the Rangers are going to be looking for depth in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that that's a team that could go either way. They could go for the big splash Mm -hmm. or they could go for several uh, moves or a combination thereof. Um, The sneaky team to me is actually Carolina because they know they can win and can they make an addition that'll do it? I just don't expect it to be the high profile players. That would actually really surprise me, even though I wouldn't count it out. So um, I think the Rangers are the team to really, for me to keep an eye on at the deadline. And we've mentioned Minnesota. Yes. I think that Garen will attempt to be aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised there, Um, but I'm, I'm very, very curious about LA. I know we mentioned them earlier. They have so many prospects. 
They, they have attractive pieces that can go the other direction, and they're very close. If you're looking for a big splash team, I think they might be the undercover one where Rob Blake's got something up his sleeve here he's trying to pull off. It's just yeah. a hunch. But boy, can you imagine if he was able to pull off a Chikrin move or, or something of that caliber? Yeah. That would change the complexion of that team. And they yeah. might be the one club with the prospects and picks to be able to pull that off if necessary. Yeah. I don't, you know, you that, I, I, well, I'm, I'm, I agree with all those, all those teams, Minnesota's, you know, they're going to, I think they'll take a swing because next year is when they start to pay the cap price for mm-hmm. buying out uh, Ryan Suter and Zach Parise. Um, I, I'm curious about the Boston Bruins though, sort of the team that, you know, people, you know, Tuka Rask abandons the comeback and they're sort of a little bit under the radar, mm-hmm. but they played pretty well. See, the uh, Jake DeBrusque with the hat trick st- apparently still wants out of Boston. Yeah, he still wants out. Now yeah. he's playing on the top line, though. He's playing with Bergeron and Marshawn <laughs> exactly. on the right side. You might want to rethink that now, man. That might, that might be your ticket to five million bucks every year, know. dude. Like Swayman's playing incredible in net for them. Yes. <laughs> but they're and still missing pieces. They're still missing pieces. And 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 again, they're, the Bruins are now in that same sort of discussion, I think, that we put Washington and Pittsburgh in. So like Patrice Bergeron, you know, instant Hall of Famer, obviously. Marshand is, is the same, frankly, I think, uh, you know, different player, obviously. But I think if you're Boston, you have to think, okay, what do we, you know, what do we owe it to Bergeron and this core to take a mighty swing? It's not really, you know, Don Sweeney's managed the cap so nicely in Boston. Um but they need some help. And I wonder if they're a team that could slide into some of these discussions on some of these top end players. I mean, how nice would Claude Drew look in the top six in Boston and, mm-hmm. you know, changes that team. But, you know, anyway, I, 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 I'm curious about Boston over the next two and a half weeks. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Well, they've gotten great goaltending lately. I mean, Swayman was um, goalie of the month. I believe he was just named, I want to say. Yeah, uh, rookie so of the month or goalie of the month? Rookie of the month, month I guess yeah. it was. I got this wrong on it. But, like, man, he has been lights out for them in the last – well, let's just say this. Since the Tukarask experiment and Jeremy Swayman going down to the American Hockey League and him coming back, he's been outstanding. He's allowed five goals in his last six games, two shutouts. He looks like the real deal. And I've got a good, a good friend of mine is Alfie Michaud, who was uh, my goalie coach with the Portland Pirates one year. He's now the assistant slash goalie coach for the main black bears where Swayman played. And he said that Swayman is his biggest asset is his belief in himself. Yep. But he backs it up by doing the homework. Okay, like he loves doing video. He loves searching for the little extra things that he can find to be better about. And I said, hey, you know, I find he gets a little wide and he doesn't rotate because of that. Sometimes he goes, he's working on it. (laughs) And to me, that shows a goalie that's a student. I've always liked him. I wasn't sure he was ready at the start of the year, but his game's grown. And and Allmark's struggled lately. Swayman's a guy there now. And good on him. His numbers have been phenomenal everywhere he's played. That's indicative of somebody who's always learning student, truly a student of the position. I'm curious to see where he can carry that team to because they needed that. And now I think the team believes in him, Scott. He was rookie of the month, by the way. So that was rookie of the month. Thank you very much. No, that's good. All right, my friend, where'd the time go? And uh, Out the window, I know always, always great to catch up and hopefully we have Better world news when we reconvene in a week's time and who knows what kind of news trade wise hockey news we're talking about in the next week, but stay safe, my friend. And uh, as always, I look forward to, uh, to our time together. It's always the best time of the week, Scott. And we're not that far away from playoffs. So we're hoping for another rendezvous, just like Vegas somewhere down the line, my friend. Indeed. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.